Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 16th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Fultz with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The first of several UCLA hospital superbug victims has filed suit against medical device maker Olympus Corporation of the Americas. 48-year-old Antonia Torres Cerda died at UCLA Ronald Reagan Medical Center after she allegedly was infected with a superbug bacteria transmitted into her body by the medical equipment. The family is now suing the equipment maker for wrongful death, negligence, and fraud. Serta's family is asking for punitive and exemplary damages of an unspecified amount. The University of California at Los Angeles is not named in the lawsuit. Serta, who was a field worker, became ill seven or eight years ago and was on the liver transplant list for about five or six years. She needed the transplant because she had non-alcoholic liver cirrhosis. Serta had been given an endoscopic procedure before having the transplant and a second procedure afterward. The procedures used a duodenoscope manufactured by Olympus Medical Systems of Japan. The scopes are flexible tubes inserted through the throat into the small intestines. The FDA says that about half a million people in the U.S. undergo procedures with the scopes every year. Following the transplant, Serta stayed, started to recover, but then grew ill from the infection and died. The doctors said there were no antibiotic medications that would have killed the bacteria and saved her life. Serta is one of two patient deaths that have been connected to an antibiotic-resistant bacterial outbreak at UCLA. The outbreak is believed to have spread through the use of these endoscopes. Five others were infected with the bacteria, and UCLA notified 179 people that they may have been exposed. The lawsuit alleges that Olympus failed to develop and validate an effective way to clean and redesign the Q180V scope. Her attorneys say a device manufacturer that makes a reusable medical instrument has an obligation to figure out how to clean it or they would have to sell it as a single-use device. According to the lawsuit, Olympus knew the design of its duodenoscope renders some part of the device extremely difficult to access and, as a result, difficult to clean. In 2013, Olympus was allegedly informed of the infections to patients in the state of Washington and at least four patients who were infected as a result of exposure to the contaminated devices died. Olympus redesigned the TJF Q180V in 2014, but the suit alleges it failed to update cleaning protocols. And now our fraud report. Officials are now considering if the workers' compensation fraud prosecution grant funding model is also a good solution to help fight the underground economy. The California Little Hoover Commission is an independent state agency charged with recommending ways to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of state programs. By statute, the commission is a bipartisan board composed of five public members appointed by the governor, 
four public members appointed by the legislature and two senators and two assembly members. The commission said in a new 140-page report that California businesses are losing ground to unscrupulous competitors in the underground economy who break the rules to gain an unfair advantage. The commission found the underground economy is growing and thriving in part because of insufficient resources for enforcement. Many cheaters, it says, break the rules because getting caught is unlikely. And if they are caught, few are charged in court. Even when found guilty, the profits from cheating often outweigh the fines and penalties. And there is an abysmal record of collecting restitution. The state loses an estimated $8.5 billion or more annually in tax revenue. The commission found that existing laws can be so confusing and inconsistent that even business owners who try to comply sometimes later learn they have broken the rules. Recommended improvements include better defining what it takes to be an independent contractor, bolstering asset seizure laws, and generally refining laws to improve clarity and to ensure rewards don't outweigh the risks. The commission also recommends replicating the current workers' compensation fraud grant funding model to other high-fraud areas. The workers' compensation grant model, financed by premiums paid by California employers for fraud investigations and prosecutions, has proven to be an effective funding model. Nearly $59 million has been allocated for the recent grant cycle. Counties funded by the grant dedicate prosecutors to investigating workers' compensation fraud. And many offices have opened workers' compensation fraud sections in part because of the grant. Adopting this model for the fight against the underground economy would enable local district attorneys to increase their efforts. Workers' compensation fraud is just one spoke in a wheel of a wide variety of illegal conduct that constitute unfair business practices. The report says that businesses without workers' compensation are often unlicensed to do contracting, engaging in cash pay transactions and income tax evasion, not paying overtime or engaging in theft of labor. They're all related, and a legitimate business person cannot possibly compete against the bid of these companies. A federal jury has convicted two Southern California residents for defrauding union and private health insurance programs by submitting bills for more than $71 million of medically unnecessary procedures. A large number of these fraudulent claims were submitted to the International Longshore and Warehouse Union and Operating Engineers Union health plans. Other victim insurers include Aetna and Anthem. After a six-day trial, 45-year-old Teresa Fisher of Tustin, who was found guilty of five counts, and 30-year-old Lindsay Hargraves of San Pedro was found guilty of two counts of mail fraud. The evidence that showed that they lured insured patients to a surgery center in Orange with promises that they could use their health coverage to pay for cosmetic surgeries, which are generally not covered by insurance. 
the surgery center was known at various times as Princess Cosmetic Surgery, Vista Surgical Center, and Empire Surgical Center. Hargraves was a marketer who referred patients to Fisher, who is a consultant at the surgery center. Patients were coached to fabricate or exaggerate symptoms so that their medical procedures would be covered by their insurance. Once the health care program paid the claims, the patients were given free or discounted cosmetic surgeries, including tummy tucks, breast augmentations, and liposuction. Fisher and Hargraves are scheduled to be sentenced on May 29. A third defendant in this case, 31-year-old Vi Nguyen, pleaded guilty in January to four counts of mail fraud and faces sentencing on July 10. At sentencing, each defendant faces a maximum sentence of 20 years in federal prison for each count of mail fraud. 28-year-old Jacob Richard Bonzer, formerly of Lake Forest, California, was arrested last August in Chicago by U.S. Marshals Task Force on 96 felony counts. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced to seven years in prison this month for selling fraudulent insurance policies in Orange County to fund a lavish lifestyle. Monzer collected more than $900,000 in commissions and premium payments for the fake policies and created fake insurance companies to defraud his customers. He pleaded guilty to 49 counts of grand theft, one felony count of foraging a California Department of Insurance examination report, transacting insurance business without a certificate of authority, 45 felony counts of insurance fraud with sentencing enhancements for aggravated white-collar crime. He was ordered to pay over $900,000 to his victims. Bonzer paid for, fi uh, for fine dining, travel, wine club memberships, and renting a luxury high-rise apartment with his money. Problems started when he worked at Farmers Insurance Group office in Brea before being fired after failing to complete the company's career program. At Farmers, Bonzer submitted 128 fraudulent homeowners insurance applications containing bogus information using non-existent policyholders for real properties, causing valid policies to be issued for phantom homeowners in escrow. Since the applicants were bogus, Farmers never received premium payments, and Bonzer was eventually fired. In 2011, things got worse when he continued his criminal activities and created a fake company that created 800 more homeowner policies that listed fake names. The fake company was called GW Mutual Risk Retention Group, LLC, which was registered in Florida. Bonzer also sold workers' comp and commercial insurance policies through his agency, Bonzer Insurance Brokerage, even though it was not licensed to do so. He collected roughly $280,000 in premiums from 58 California businesses that believed they were purchasing valid coverage. Bonzer orchestrated these elaborate scams by using multiple post office boxes, virtual assistants, business entities, office spaces, email accounts, website domains, and fake bank accounts. 
Federal law enforcement agents in Medford, Oregon arrested a California couple charged with marketing unapproved medical devices that were claimed to treat ailments ranging from ulcers to AIDS. Special agents arrested David and Sandra Perez on warrants issued by the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of California. An indictment claims the couple and co-defendant Beth Campbell have sold almost $700,000 worth of biofrequency devices under the brand name Energy Wave. Both husband and wife were charged with conspiracy, sale of adulterated devices, the sale of misbranded devices, acting to cause the shipment of adulterated or misbranded devices, and making false statements. The devices were allegedly manufactured by an unindicted co-conspirator in his Southern California home. Users were provided with an operating manual and a listing of codes that set forth hundreds of digital settings for specific conditions such as abdominal pain, AIDS, diabetes, stroke, ulcer, and other ailments. The devices allegedly were not approved by the FDA, and prosecutors say the couple took extra care to hide their activities from the agency. They registered their website in the Philippines, and the uploading of devices instructions were done on the internet instead of including them in the box. David Perez had previously been a partner in California-based CGNI Incorporated, the owners of which were convicted in 2011 of selling a product called the Detox Box, which prosecutors say was almost identical to the energy wave. And in medical news, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration announced a new action to enhance the safety of reusable medical devices and addressed the possible spread of infection agents between uses. A key change is that the FDA will no longer take a company's word that the disinfecting procedures work. In the past, the agency essentially took manufacturers at their word when they claimed a procedure disinfected the device. Now they will have to submit data proving so with a high degree of assurance. The new recommendations are outlined in a final industry guidance aimed at helping device manufacturers develop safer reusable devices. The FDA issued a draft guidance discussing the reprocessing of reusable medical devices in 2011 and considered almost 500 public comments before issuing this final guidance. The FDA's final guidance document includes recommendations that medical device manufacturers should follow pre-market and post-market for the safe and effective use of reprocessed devices. Reprocessing instructions are critical to protect patients against the spread of infections. The guidance lists six criteria that should be addressed in the instructions for use with every reusable device to ensure users understand and correctly follow the reprocessing instructions. The FDA also announced that the agency's gastroenterology and urology devices panel will hold a public meeting in May to discuss recent reports of, in of infections associated with duodenoscopes in hospitals. 
The FDA action followed reports last month that hundreds of patients may have been exposed to pathogens, including antibiotic-resistant superbugs. Two patients at the University of California have died. The new recommendations apply, however, not only to duodenoscopes, but to most medical devices intended for repeated use, including bronchoscopes and endoscopes. To deal with the thousands of devices already in use and not subject to the new rules, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released instructions for reducing the risk of transmitting these infections. The protocol calls for swabbing the device after it has supposedly been disinfected and seeing then if any microbes grow in detectable colonies. The FDA does not, however, have the authority to require manufacturers to change their device's design after it's approved, even if it prevents disinfection. And in regulatory news, in recent years, the increasing cost of treatment at ambulatory surgical centers has been one factor in the escalation of medical costs. In 2012, SB 863 reduced the maximum ASC facility fees to 80% of the fee paid by Medicare. The WCIRB initially projected that this change would reduce ASC payments by 25%. This new joint study is a follow-up and includes an entire year of additional data. Prior to 2004, these fees were not subject to a fee schedule and payments var varied widely based upon usual and customary fees. In 2003, California lawmakers required the DWC to promulgate a fee schedule that utilizes the Medicare payment rules for both ASCs and emergency rooms. The 2004 fee schedule limited facility fees then to 120% of the Medicare fee. The 2004 fee schedule had an immediate effect on costs. A CWCI study back then showed that payments fell 38.9% following the adoption of the 2004 schedule. But by 2012, state lawmakers had to revisit the issue as one cost-saving component of the SB 863 deal hammered out by representatives of labor, employers, and the Brown administration. The final bill reduced the fees from 120% to 80% of the Medicare fee, although hospital-based outpatient facility maximum fees were kept at 120% of the Medicare rate. The new current study shows that the reduction in payments has been slightly better than the initial predictions. There's been a 27% decrease in payments per episode and a 29% decrease in the payments per procedure from the pre-reform to post-reform period. The study concludes by saying the change in the ASC fee schedule has achieved its intended objective of reducing one aspect of workers' compensation medical costs. The nation's largest pharmacy benefits manager says prescription drug spending rose 13% last year, the largest annual increase since 2003. Express Scripts says the gains were fueled by pricey specialty drugs that, that accounted for about 31 cents of every dollar, 
spent on prescriptions, even though they represented only 1% of all U.S. prescriptions filled. New hepatitis C therapies with high price tags and the exploitation of loopholes for compounded medications drove a 13.1% increase in U.S. drug spending in 2014, a rate not seen in more than a decade. Inflammatory conditions, multiple sclerosis, and cancer remain the top three specialty therapy classes for the fifth consecutive year, collectively contributing to 55.9% of the spend for all specialty medications billed. Spending on traditional medications continues to rise as a result of compounded drugs, which emerged in the top 10 traditional therapy classes for the first time and accounted for 35% of the increase in spending. Drug maker consolidation and drug shortages also led to increases in traditional drug trends, which rose to 6.4% in 2014. The good news was that half of the top 10 therapy classes experienced a negative trend in 2014 due to generics. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for dropping by today, and please stop by again next week for more news.